In this episode of the O'Reilly Data Show, I speak with Fang Yu, co-founder and CTO of Datavisor, a startup that uses data science and big data to detect fraud and malicious users across many different application domains. Founded by security researchers from Microsoft, Datavisor has developed large-scale unsupervised algorithms on top of Apache Spark to predict attack vectors early among billions of users and trillions of events. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica, here today with uh, Fang Yu, who is the CTO and co-founder of a called Datavisor. Welcome to the Data Show. Thanks, Ben, for having me. So first, let's start with your background. You're a PhD in, is it CS or EE at Berkeley? CS. 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 So um, what was your, in Berkeley, uh, we call what was your CS, area yeah. in CS? So CS, um, in my thesis, I actually work on network security. It's a little bit lower level. So it's like a deep packet inspection going through the network traffic to identify the bad traffics within the, um, uh, the network using like a, um, regular expression filtering, TCAM, like a matching, etc. So it's very lower layer kind of a security. So even as an undergrad, you were CS? Yes. Okay. So, um, so then uh, you got a PhD. So then the natural what point did you realize you didn't want to become a professor? <laughs> ah, that's a good question. Um, I like teaching, but um, at that time uh, when I um, graduated, about to graduate, actually I like very practical problems. Even though that the, my PhD is on like deep packet inspection, I was actually applying snort rules to actually filtering like uh, um, bad packets. So I'm always interested in industry and I hope that my uh, work can be applied to um, uh, real-life um, problems. So um, that's why I actually joined Microsoft Research um, Silicon Valley in 2006 after I graduated. So when you uh, uh, were doing work at Microsoft and even back in grad school in Berkeley, you were always interested in kind of this intersection of data and uh, security? Yeah, um, I think it's more, um, even more in Microsoft because in um, in Microsoft, we do not do like a very deep, uh, like a deep packet inspection, hardware, this kind of thing. So in Microsoft, after I joined, um, I met my, uh, later my co-founder, Inlian, uh, who is actually um, graduated from CMU. And we actually joined Microsoft Research Silicon Valley in the same months. So um, her thesis work is on like a worm detection, etc. And then in Microsoft, we actually have a lot of like online services, for example, Hotmail, Bing and uh, um, kind of Skype, etc. Oh, so you were working with real data. Yeah, exactly. So we initially first collaboration was with uh, Hotmail. I think it was shortly after we joined, Ian and I worked with Hotmail um, on their spam problem and their um, like a fake account problem. And later throughout the years, we work with many many Microsoft Insight like uh, um, online services. For example, Bing. We work for like um, uh, bad clicks and then. Uh, that queries, and then we will also work with Xbox to identify the fraudulent transactions, ad centers, and also um, Skype fraudulent payment. So we kind of help a lot of like Microsoft internal um, services. Our work has always been very applied. So uh, 2006, this was, uh, I guess, uh, maybe Hadoop literally just became that's found, right, that's founded, right? right? So what were, what, was, uh, what were your tools back then? 
that's a great question. So we were actually super lucky because um, in Microsoft Silicon Valley, we were in, um, there's only one research lab called Distributed System Research Lab led by the Royal Eleven. And we have a lot of like great people there. We build internal a system called Dry, Dry Link. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. yeah, and then actually kind of the precursor of Spark in many ways. That's right, right that's yeah. right. And then um, so we have a lot of like system expert building dry dry link, and then at that time we have a small cluster, and it's not I think it was uh, um, forty nodes or something. And then actually we are one step of ahead of product groups because that time they don't have like uh, um, later Microsoft had, but at that time they didn't have like a distributed system a lot. So with that, we actually pull the data from the um, production clusters and then into our research cluster. And then we use dry, dry link, which are great tools to analyze all these uh, logs in great scale. So that was actually the beginning part of uh, our research. So definitely not, uh, definitely not real time because you're pulling data from one system to another. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it, it was the research and there was like an understanding what um how attacks actually um happen and how to actually def um defend against them? Then we actually write papers, write system, and then we ship to product groups. Oh, I see. So the work did get deployed in production. That's right. That's right. We help uh, like um Hotmail bootstrap their um, social network based like uh, detection algorithms to detect against spams. So. What was the genesis of your startup Datavisor? What got you and your co-founder thinking that you had the idea to do a startup? Yeah, as security researchers, we work with a lot of like online services within Microsoft, and we see an increasing trend of a lot of attacks actually going on. By, by the way, uh, Fang, before you continue, so let's just uh, for the audience. So within Microsoft. What's the relationship of the researcher to the product groups? Yeah, so there are different models. And then, and so researchers, actually, we can, uh, in the Silicon Valley lab, we are very kind of um, free freestyle. We can actually select topic we are interested in. And it's a challenging problem that actually um, product group may not actually have time to work on, or may not have expertise to work on. So we'll talk to the product groups, and then we get the problem, and then we work out a solution. And then we will present to the product group and then see whether they want to transfer the technology. So sometimes we ship code, sometimes we ship design documents. And there, there's also other side of more blue sky research. We work on very fast forward-looking problems like quantum computing, etc. Right, right. So those, um, we, we actually advance the, the, the state uh, the, of art. The earlier yeah. set of problems you just kind of the perfect uh, setting to uh, uh, cook up a startup idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually gained a lot of experience in helping different like uh, online services within Microsoft to fight their attacks because each attacks are actually quite different. So we have very different like uh, solutions for each different type of attacks. And then uh, across time, we actually figure out oh, there are a lot of like generality. Even some like uh, spam emails, some are bot clicks, some are fraudulent transaction. But in the root, they are all like account problem. And it's actually beyond Microsoft many, no matter what kind of online service, as long as they have client, they will have this uh, um, problems. So that's why we think maybe um, we can actually leave Microsoft and then start building something very general instead of very customer solutions for very specific um, um, problems. We want to build something general and we want to build something that can help many online service. That's so what, the kind uh, of what year was this? 
that uh, we left in the end of uh, 2012. And then uh, with the company was, uh, we left Microsoft in November and the company was incorporated the company in December. And so the, um, the so DataVisor now is uh, a little bit over two years. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, 2013, sorry, 2013. Yeah. So, this, so at that point, then it sounds like from what you're describing at that point, when you say online, I interpret that as not mobile, but online, not mobile. Yeah. Um, in Microsoft, we didn't specify in mobile. And there are a lot of online serving. They might be clients actually using the mobile clients. For example, the Hotmail has a mobile client. Bing has a mobile client. But we do not actually um, uh, treat the clients different. Now, after we, um, in DataVisor, we actually also, when we work on the, um, our clients, some of them are actually 100% mobile. So I think right. mobile now is uh, getting more popular. Right, right. Um, so how... Uh, can you describe what DataVisor does? Or is that public? Sure. Um, DataVisor, what we do is pretty simple. We want to protect the um, uh, consumer-facing websites or online services apps to identify those bad users which are hiding. And some of them may not be actively attacking them yet. We, we call them sleeper cells. And we want to detect these sleeper cells before they conduct any malicious uh, activities. So how much... Uh... Uh, how much data do you have before you start uh, becoming comfortable uh, uh, that your recommendations are correct? So we actually, um, our engine can start day one to detect bad things because we do not require um, the, the, the client to give us uh, um, like, uh, training data, etc. So we just based on the user activities, we are able to detect bad users hitting with their um, uh, population. So for the non-technical uh, listener, so how do you do that without any, so is it rule-based? Um, not really. So traditional, let me um, probably step back a little bit and explain how like traditional solutions identify bad um, accounts or bad things. So traditionally, um, the bad um, accounts, for example, when they do bad transactions, when they do spam, etc., the one of the typical solution is rule-based. So they said, um, for example, a user can just register and immediately start to transfer money or immediately starting to send a lot of email. That behavior is bad. So they, you write a rule based on that. But rule-based solution is very reactive. You, can, um, you need to observe what attackers are doing. And then based on that, you derive uh, expert rules and put in. And nowadays, a rule-based system is one solution, but they, um, a lot of uh, online services are moving to machine learning-based solution. They have some bad labels, and then they train a model to detect the users. But the rule-based rule base gets outdated fast, right? Yeah, but the rule-based, usually you need the human to write the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard yeah, to maintain, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's actually hard to maintain, uh, always late, because you, you want the human only observed bad things and then they start to write rules. Right, right. Yeah, and then now they actually shift to machine learning. Many actually online services use machine learning. They have the bad things, and then you just dump the bad labels there. They train a model and then tell you automatically what are the bad. So you no need to manually to write rules anymore. And it's more adaptive. But you have, you have to have labeled data. Exactly, that's the problem. So in many cases, machine learning is perfect um, solutions for many image recognition, etc. But in security, it's a little bit hard. You have to know what are the bad things. And in some cases in security, you have that label. For example, chargeback label. When there's a bad transaction happens, 
A few months later, the user will report and the credit card will actually tell you the chargeback. But it's late. You have a, a one month, you train the model. By the time you deploy, the tackle may already actually change their strategy. And then in other cases, for example, the, um, the bad reviews, bad like, some of the attacker actually mimic the real users so well. So you may not actually have all the labels to which user is good, which user is bad from like um, um, 10 millions or even hundreds of millions of users. So the label is actually very hard for security applications. That's why in DataVisor, we actually delivered a brand new kind of a solution, which is unsupervised. We do not require the client to actually give us label telling us which one is um, good or bad. Because if they do that pretty well, they, they do not need to so, need so, us to help them. Uh, so one of those might be the false positives might be high, no? Um, so um, in, in our approach, most traditional approach is that they um, look at the users one by one. You build a model, you can say abnormal de um, abnormally de de uh, detection. Most of, for example, most of the user do this, this, this. If this user suddenly do something different, or you say this user is abnormal from all the, 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 the normal population and this user could potentially be bad, then that model is actually can have very high false positive rate because as you know, user's behavior is always long tail. They're right. always where the user, you cannot say that a user cannot get up at 3 a.m. do something. So, so, so it might be, sim simply, yeah. simply applying anomaly detections. That's right, it, it's not sufficient. In, in our approach, is what we do is actually we do not only look at a single user behavior. We put all the users together and study the correlations between the users and how the user link to each other, how similar are the users um, uh, reacting. Because we observe that from our years of experience, nowadays these bad um, attackers actually do not have a single bad account because their throughput is too low. They usually have like tens of accounts and hundreds of accounts, even thousands of millions of accounts. And using these accounts, they can do spam, they can do like, they can do transaction each little bit small. But the, in order for them to actually be profitable, they usually have a group of accounts. And these accounts usually have a high correlations among them because they are controlled by the robots or controlled by like trained people. And for us, we actually look at the user-user correlation. We put all the users' activity inch together and study like each user's correlation. Each user have thousands of dimensions. They have, we build a graph of all these users. And then our algorithm, smart algorithm actually crunch on top of this graph to identify the, um, the, the un unusual correlations about these um, users. So our false positive rate is actually very low, usually below 1%. And one of our clients actually work with them um, the, the, the false positive rate is actually 0.01%. So a couple of questions. One, I, I guess for the most uh, websites and uh, mobile services, they probably have data visor-like capability in-house, right? So the Facebooks of the world, the LinkedIn's. Mm -hmm. But there's so many other websites and, and mobile companies not have the data science chops or the data engineering chops. So I, I, I take it that's the market that you guys are going after. Um, yes and no. And um, there are certainly a lot of like uh, um, uh, uh, companies which do not have our ability. But we, we think we can help um, uh, a lot of like big online service as well. For example, Yelp is our client. They actually have a dedicated team working on it. And we still can um, 
help them and further improve their um their their system. Um. So, second question is uh, domain knowledge and uh, mm. domain specificity, uh, whatever I mispronounced that word. But mm. anyway, yeah. Uh, do you have to have uh, the uh, you know, if it's a financial services mm -hmm. company, is that slightly Yelp? Yes, actually, that's a great question. So um, because we actually look at the um, account level, how the user behave, our engine is actually quite general to different sectors of the attack. We have client um, uh, on social, we have client on mo uh, mobile gaming, we're actually working with the client on financial services. The, the, the reason that our engine can work across different sectors is that we actually look at the notion of this um, account. And as, as I mentioned earlier, the underground attack, there is an underground economy ecosystem to actually have a massive attacks to different kinds of services. But at the root, they actually have the same set of people. Some people are specializing in registration bad accounts. Some people are specializing in stealing credit cards. And some people are specializing, for example, writing templates, etc. So there's um, underground ecosystem. And then tools they use, for example, the data centers that they use, the VPNs they use. So there are actually a lot of commonalities across different sectors. So for the data scientists in the audience there, um, what are the kind of particular challenges of applying data science to the security domain? And actually, yeah, before you, uh, a related question is, you know, suppose I'm a data scientist and I uh, interview for a job at DataVisor and, uh, and I get the job. Uh, how do you train me to become a security data scientist? Hmm, that's a good question. Are, in other words, <laughs> are there any particular skills that are specific? To this domain, the data so science. yeah, uh, we value data science a lot, and then when we do actually hiring, we actually usually find uh, um, um, there are several um, skills that we actually look for. Some security background, um, it's okay to have um, to work actually without security background, and then we actually want people with strong algorithmic uh, skills and also system skills. So as I um, describe our system before it needs to actually look at the correlations of use all the users. So um, our system is a little bit like, for example, Google. You, you look at the correlations between the web pages. You do not decide on the rank just based on one web pages. So a lot of like computation on the whole web. So it needs not only the data science skill, but also a lot of system skill, how to build a scalable system to work fast. And also um, how to actually um, have a fast algorithm running on top of it. So do you hire people who already have both skills or, or which, which of those two skills are more important from day one? Um, I think we have people actually have um, both skills, but sometimes it's a little bit hard. So we actually, some people in DataVisor work from system. They come from very strong system background. For example, people work on Spark, Hadoop like uh, come from Microsoft, come from Google, those kind of system background we value a lot. And then people from uh, like uh, um, FireEye, they from, uh, from uh, RSA, that uh, with security background, and also algorithm people that uh, um, have the experience of run, writing big algorithms on top of the Spark or Hadoop system. So that in, many, in many ways, actually, uh, the, the person you're describing is kind of 
original concept of the data scientist in many ways. It's someone who can bridge across disciplines. Now it seems like the term data scientist is much more applied to people who do more more of the uh, analysis and the and you know the machine learning and the visualization. In the old days, it was actually the person who can bridge across systems and algorithms. Yeah, that's what we value most. Yeah, interesting. Um, Spark. So you mentioned Apache Spark. Um, uh, I guess it's not a surprise. You're from Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of our founding members also come from Berkeley, and he used Spark before. And then uh, when we actually want to scale the system, there was a very natural choice that uh, we use Spark. And luckily for you, the timing was right. Uh, 2014, it sounds like it's when you guys really got going. That's right, that's right. And yeah. then, I mean, before that, I don't know if Spark would have been ready. <laughs> yeah, we had a very positive experience on Spark. Spark is very easy to use. And then now it actually have a great community so that we, um, we can ha seek help on a lot of like uh, communities and then, and it, it helped us scale our system pretty well. So are you guys uh, users of the machine learning aspects of Spark, the ML? Yeah, we use it uh, um, uh, uh, as well. And then uh, we, we use uh, ML, we use some type of M because in our unsupervised approach, we can detect things that actually um, before they happen, but then we actually also use these uh, results to actually, and some, sometimes customers have some labels. So we, we have some ML elements as well, and you use the ML label from um, Spark to do the training and analysis. So by the way, before I uh, co-opted that earlier question, so going back to it, so are there any just in the security domain for a data scientist that uh, are particularly interesting. So here I'm let I'm having you uh, giving you an opportunity to recruit people into. <laughs> yeah, so I think there are really interesting problems in security that are playing for a data scientist. Yeah, I think that's actually um we are seeing a lot of like uh, challenging problems in security. As I mentioned before, it's the so, most. So in security, the data sets then tend to be log files and event data. Yeah, log files and event data. And then the most challenge is that it doesn't have label. So right. um, uh, when by the time you and need then to... And the volume, volume is big yeah, right away. Right? Yeah, it, and then online services nowadays all huge. We have clients that actually send us billions of uh, events per day. So it's huge amount of data and you want to find the bad users, small amount of bad users from it. It's like um, finding <laughs> a needle in a haystack uh, without any label. So it's actually very challenging. So, so uh, do you guys uh, do stuff with mobile apps? Yes. Um, so some mo of mobile apps then has also the geolocation, lat long, yeah, 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 time yeah. of day, right? So That's right. That's right. So we actually, um, some of our clients are actually mobile only. So they only have the mobile apps. Traditionally, if you have like a desktop and a mobile app, usually the desktop version will be actually attacked because it's more easy to script there. But... Um, if you only have a mobile app, there are a lot of ways to um, attack the mobile app as well. There are a lot of like Android simulator there. There are a lot of like uh, the, the SMS verification tools that they can use to bypass the two-factor authentication. And then there are also like even like um, bad phones. There are unlocked phones that actually um, can be used to install many, many apps and then attackers use these phones to script the attack them the, the online services so uh, we see a lot of attacks to the mobile app recently as well by the way uh, coming back from strata singapore and now just 
just uh, Strata Beijing, a couple of things about the Asia Pacific region for our listeners. One, uh, mobile, man. Uh, mobile yes. is just, they're much more sophisticated than the mobile uh, app side. The apps are richer. The apps can do a lot more things. Another thing uh, that's interesting is that uh, e-commerce is a much bigger topic there, I feel. Here, it seems like people are kind of, it's not, it's not as sexy anymore, you know, as a topic of <laughs> e-commerce, but in Asia, it's just a huge topic. Yeah, and also the e-commerce now, nowadays is not traditional e-commerce. You go to Dell.com, you buy. It's you have all kinds of apps, and it's uh, as closely mingled with other elements. For example, social, how your friends buy, and the reviews, etc. So the e-commerce is actually brand new, almost a brand new concept on the mobile side. And there are a lot of like promotions on the um, the apps. For example, when you're new users, you can get um, some coupons or some points. So it's actually get a lot of abuse as well. Because so you mentioned, you mentioned kind of the intersection of social and e-commerce. So, uh, so is there some social network analysis in, involved in these uh, uh, security systems? Yes, there are a lot of uh, social network elements um, associated with it. How do attack? Um, how do a user is friending with each others, and some attackers will want to actively friending because the more they friend, they can start spam them and start to give giving the uh, the stranger some information, etc. And then some actually form the friending among themselves. So it's actually pretty interesting about uh, how they actually leverage the social element part to actually promote um, either promote some um, uh, store they want to promote or they actually want to attack their attackers, or they want to actually get things. For example, they register a lot of accounts, and they, they look very legitimate, but they want to get the promotion. So there are a lot of like intersections between the social and the e-commerce. I imagine the graphs are massive, right? So yeah, the graphs are massive, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what about uh, just general trends? So are anything in tech in general or data? Insecurity yeah. that uh, you particularly interested in. So, um, as a security researcher, I'm always very interested in the trends in security. And then, um, I think after so many years work on security, I think the the trends is actually going. Um, there are few trends that I I think it's actually very interesting. First, as we we touched a little bit before, is that they're um, traditional, it's very targeted, like attacks. Now it's a mingle of social, mingle with a transaction, mingle with ads, etc. All kinds of apps are mingled. So the attack surface are actually much bigger. And then, then now the attacks are actually much harder to come back because there's huge amount of uh, revenue that the attackers can get from these um, services. Because the social app, when you boost up some ranking of the, some items, and then when you, for example, you have a fake installs, you can um, promote the user. So it's huge, very profitable for the attacker. So we are seeing the trend that from the old days, there's some like uh, one attacker work on their own to actually attack something. Now it's all organized ecosystem. They are very well um, separated and each one has their job to do one piece of it and they piece them together to actually conduct large-scale attacks. And more interesting that some of the, um, the attacks we see are very big and incubate a very, very long time. So what about security and cloud computing? Anything there? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting topic. We use cloud computing um, um, because we, we use 
Amazon and then we uh, we use Spark as use big data approach. And interestingly, we find that attackers are using <laughs> cloud computing as well. Um, there are a lot of like attacks um, using these like um, so then, uh, hosting if, uh, services. Uh, they have to pay with their credit card, so then you identify them right away. <laughs> yeah, not necessary. Some of them actually, um, they can pay with their credit cards, but many of the cases they have the stolen credit cards. Right. And so they use like uh, um, these cheap services and sometimes they also compromise web servers, existing web servers, and they can put up malware there. They can do computation there. So most of them, I think it was a little bit low cost than they asked. So are particular uh, topics uh, in the intersection of security and IoT, Internet of Things, that uh, has caught your attention? Yeah, I think... Um, um, we in DataVisor, we actually do not have yet talked the IoT, but there are. Um, we heard that there are a lot of like uh, um, IoT devices out there, and then um, some of them actually um, already be compromised. We saw news all the time. They are um, they are sending malware, etc. So that's going to be a very hot topic as well. Um, so let's close with uh, uh, your experience so far, transitioning from being a researcher to a startup founder. So. Uh, any uh, any tips to people who are working in research labs who want to be, do their own startups? I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it's possible. Like um, from my personal experience, that um, startup as a um, we, we were researcher before and we haven't done startup before. So startup is actually a, a brand new thing to us. Uh, me and my co-founder. But uh, as researchers, so we by actually, the way, uh, Fang, did uh, you guys? Uh, so when you started the company, you just uh, started building right away? Yes, we, um, we started building um, in the beginning of the 2014, yes. I mean, so right. basically at that point, it was just the two of you and maybe one other person. Yeah, we started to build and we, we were not so sure whether... Um, so you were self-funding uh, at that point. Yeah, we, we, we actually have a very small seed fund from friends and family in the beginning. Uh, it was very bad. Two of us on no pay, and we was trying to build things. And then we talked to the um, to the clients, and one of the clients actually um, were having problems. And then they actually they were one of the top um, the number two like uh, social network in China that actually they have a lot of attacks. And they they become our first customer. Um, probably half. But uh, in many ways, I guess you you yeah. were un you and your co-founder were unusual in the sense that you were researchers, but you in this very domain, security, and also working with product groups. Uh, yeah. So you were yeah, and you were always in that mindset that whatever you were working on had to be deployable in production somehow. That's right. That's right. And then and we actually we too. Uh, uh, code as well. So in the beginning part, it was just we two <laughs> coding and then and, and doing the building the systems. And then, um, uh, but luckily we have all have the the Spark and then AWS etc. So we do not need to worry about too much on the system side. We just build the algorithm on top of it. And now in the system scales, we we of course we need a lot of system support. You know, security and. Um is also in itself a huge industry, right? So even within That's technology, right. I mean, the conferences can, some of the conferences, but it's also, I find it somehow hard to navigate sometimes because uh, when I go to a security conference and I go to the uh, expo hall, I see a lot of companies, it, it seems like they're all selling the same thing. 
Yeah, security is actually very hard these days. There are a lot of like uh, um, work on, like for example, the enterprise security, the um, advanced persistent threat detection, the network layer. We actually do a little bit different on the consumer side. So we want to protect these uh, um, the 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 online service to actually deal with their accounts problem. So that is actually a little bit unique compared to a lot of like enterprise security um, work. But well, I agree. it sounds like you're you also mostly deal with large businesses. Uh, uh, That's right, and we actually can deal with some small and small or large, but. Uh, no matter small or large, they actually face some um, uh, attacks. So that's our target. By the way, one thing that you said earlier caught my attention, which is it seems what you're describing is that uh, the attack surface now cut, can cut across these services too, right? Yes. So in other words, for you to detect that I am a bad actor, you may have to follow me around across several services. Yeah, if we serve one service, then we actually see the attackers, and then if they attack another one, so we actually have the uh, knowledge of the, the this attack. We may not know exactly who is behind it, but we may know, okay, these two attack techniques are similar. They could be likely controlled by the same attacker behind it, but we actually do not know, pinpoint the right, exactly right. They could attack. Be, they, could be very, uh, they could be related. At the yeah, yeah, they, we, we can say from um, um, techniques point of view, these two are related. Great. Well, this has been great. Um, thank Thanks for inviting me. You can follow Fang Yu on Twitter at Datavisor. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Mm-hmm.